Well, it's that time of year again. It's Valentine's Day season, right? This is the time of year where people will pay way too much money for chocolate and stuffed animals and flowers. They will take the people they love out to very expensive dinners and the things that normally we do on a regular basis, man, they just, it seems like the prices are just tripled. Because why? Because this is Valentine's Day where hearts are everywhere and pink and red colors are seen and Cupid shoots people with his arrow and all of these things, right? That's part of the cultural identity around Valentine's Day. And of course, we think with Valentine's Day comes love. Love is this wonderful emotion that we feel when we have our hearts just so on fire for somebody and whether it's romantic love or whether it's relationship love or the love of parents for a child you know friendship love all of these things right that we think about love and the reality is love's a beautiful thing love is something made by god love is something that god is the perfect example of god is love not that god is loving god is love And we know that from the scriptures, right? We think about passages like 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul writes that love is patient and kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud. It's not rude. It doesn't demand its own way. All of these things, right? And at the end of that chapter, Paul famously writes that three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And we love those passages, right? We put them on t-shirts and posters and paintings and bumper stickers and things because the reality is love is wonderful. God made love. But there's an aspect of love that we don't like to talk about. You see, it's easy to love people that you love. It's easy to love the lovable people. You know, one of the things that, that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount was that it's easy to love people that we love, right? He says, you know, that, that if you um, love somebody that, that loves you, then well, what, what credit should you get for that? He says, even sinners love those who love them, <laughs> you know? He says, if you only do good to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that. But then Jesus makes this statement in verse 35 of Luke 7, as well as Matthew's version. He says something similar. He says, love your enemies. Do good to them and then you'll be acting like children of the most high for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked you must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate and i tell you those are the bible passages you don't see on bumper stickers and t-shirts right and posters love your enemy pray for those who curse you other versions say those who persecute you right when we think about love, we don't think about our enemies. We like it when, you know, especially when you watch like an action movie, right? When the, the bad guy comes around, the good guy defeats him. It wouldn't be a best-selling blockbuster if the good guy loved his enemy and prayed for him. You know, That's not going to sell movie tickets. No, we want to see the superhero defeat the villain. We want to see the good triumph over evil. In Westerns, we want to see the white hat, this cowboy, defeat the black hat, right? All of these things are things that trigger our human emotion. In our human nature, just like Jesus said, it's easy to love those who love us. That's the easy part. But man, it's hard to love your neighbor. So in this season of Valentine's Day, we're going to talk about how do we have greater love? 
Because and so think for just a moment, somebody in your life that has hurt you, somebody who has betrayed you. Think about what it would be like to have that person be in front of you again. Man, I got to tell you that this this in my life, I, I have multiple examples of, of times where I just think asking that question makes me think of people who have betrayed me, people who have done me wrong, people who have hurt me and my family. And when I see these people in public again, because I live in a small town, I tell you, it's hard to look at that person and love them because my natural reaction is to be angry to remember the hurt, to remember the pain, to remember the betrayal. And it's almost like in my heart, I want them to experience the same pain and betrayal that I experienced. But we know the heartbeat of God is the opposite because God loved us when we were wicked. God loved us when we were sinners, right? The scriptures tell us that when we were still sinners, that Christ died for us right? In the Gospel of John, we know the famous passage that God, that there's greater love that no man can have but to lay down his life for others. And that's what we do when we love our enemies. We lay down our selfish personal desires and we learn to love like God does. So today in this season of love, we're going to talk about in Valentine's Day, we're going to talk about how do we have greater love? How do we have greater love, right? this greater love that no one has, right, than to lay down his life for someone else. How do we lay down not just physical life, right? We think about heroes who sacrifice their lives for other people, and we should applaud those people. We certainly should. That is a great example of love. But I would say that it is just as powerful and to have this greater love when we love our enemies here in this daily life, in this earthly life that we have. So we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10, to look at how Jesus teaches us how we can have greater love. So in Luke chapter 10, I'll set the stage for you because we always want to make sure we read the Bible in context. We don't want to play Bible buffet and pull individual verses out and read the things we like and leave out the things we don't. That's why we're looking at Luke chapter 10 instead of 1 Corinthians 13. Why? Because 1 Corinthians 13 is a fun passage. We look about all the things love has. The greatest of these is love. But in Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells a parable, tells a story that's not something that we're very comfortable with. And so in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, it says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now we have the context clue here to know this is not an earnest question. This was one of many times where religious leaders tried to trip Jesus up and embarrass him in public. That if they could get just Jesus to get to misspeak or misstep or teach something contrary to the law, they kept asking him these hard questions. And so in 26, Jesus replies with a question. And this is always fun to see that I love Jesus's strategy so many times is to answer a question with a question because questions show our heart. It exposes our motives. And so Jesus asks him a question in return. He says, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? So now Jesus is asking the questioner a question. And so the man, the religious leader answers, and he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. 
right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. So he answers his question. To have eternal life, you do those two things. In another passage, Jesus says that these two laws are the greatest commandments. Love God with all you have. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. Jesus goes so far as to say that all of the law of Moses and all the teachings of the prophet are hung on those two commandments. That if you can do those two things, every other thing will get answered as well. But the man, in verse 29, says the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor, right? I love my neighbor like I love myself. Who's my neighbor? Well, loving people like we've already talked about is easy when they're lovable, right? It's easy for me to love my children. That's my natural reaction. It's easy even to love my wife because she's my person. She's my helpmeet. She's my partner, you know? But it's hard to love your enemies. So Jesus, starting in verse 30, it says, Jesus replied with a story. It says a Jewish man, and that's a key part, it's a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. Now, there are two things we need to understand to make sure we get the context at this point in the story. First, this is a Jewish man. He's leaving Jerusalem to go down to Jericho. And Jerusalem is the holy city. It was the capital of Israel. It was the the place where the temple was. All the great things were in Jerusalem. But he leaves Jerusalem to go to Jericho. He's a, a more than likely, this would have been a businessman that was traveling. Or it may have just been a regular person traveling back home. But Jericho, the context here would be that Jericho is where a lot of people went for business because Jericho was a coastal town. It was very popular. It had a lot of trade. It had a lot of opportunities for business. So while it doesn't say it, we can assume this man is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho for business. But in the Middle East, there were two types of main roads. There were the roads that were taxed, and then there were the side roads that people would take. Taking the main roads that were taxed was, were safer. You pay a tax to travel on this road, and as a result, it was safer because those taxes paid the Roman soldiers to guard the roads for you. And you could travel much more safely down the road, especially if you were a single individual traveling. But then there are side roads. One famous one that we are most historians agree is the road Jesus is talking about. It's called the Jericho Road. And you can Google it. You can search it on the internet and see that it's a, it's a deserted road. It's not a main highway. It goes has a lot of twists and turns around hills and valleys and the mountains of the Middle East, right? The, the Middle East in many places is flat, but Israel and Jordan and Syria have a lot of hills and mountains in them that you have to climb over as you travel. And so most historians agree that this man would have been taking to go from Jerusalem to Jericho, he would have been taking the Jericho Road because look at what happens in the story. He was attacked by bandits. That means he wasn't taking the safe roads that were patrolled by soldiers. He he was taking a side road. A lot of people would take these side roads because you didn't have to pay taxes to travel them. But in return, they were not near as safe because you didn't have the Roman soldiers to protect you. So as the man takes the road, and like we said, we think it's the Jericho Road, this is a lonely, isolated place. And it's easy for him to be attacked by bandits. And he's left by the side of the road for dead. But look at what happens in verse 31. By chance, a priest came along. 
When he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Then Jesus says, a temple assistant walked over and looked at him, but he also passed on the other side. So we see in the story the two people that come up. Now, this is a Jewish man. This is a man who who lived in Jerusalem from the context, right? That we're, we're guessing that he was, you know, a person that should be treated with kindness by the priest and the temple assistant. These are these are his own countrymen. These are people that should have had compassion for him. But instead, they walked on the other side of the road. Why would they do that? Because they wanted to keep clean. See, to go and touch an undead body for a priest or somebody, the, the temple assistant would be also called a Levite. These would have to be ceremonially pure, ceremonially clean to work in the temple. And so these men, when they walked by, would walk on the other side of the road. They didn't want to get too close and become you know, defiled by this dead body because it, you know, it looked like he's laying on the side of the road half dead. But they both passed on the other side of the road, and they did not help him. Ah, Jesus is um, kind of, of, of putting a, a, a rock in the shoe of this religious leader. Why? Because he would probably have been a priest or a temple assistant. This religious leader would have been probably a Pharisee, would have been one of the religious elite. And in Jesus' story here, he makes the religious leaders look like the bad guy because they did not help the man. They did not do what God would have wanted them to do, to be willing to love their neighbor like they love themselves, right? But then look, Jesus then takes it even deeper. And in verse 33, he says, then a despised Samaritan came along. Now we need to have context here again, that the Samaritans were half-breeds. They were not accepted by the Jews. They were actually hated by the Jews. You see, when the Israelites came out of captivity after the Babylonians were defeated by Persia, and Persia eventually allowed the Israelites to go back to their homelands, to get their land and their place back in the community, the, the Jewish people had to look at their genealogies. And they looked at their genealogical records, and they found that many of them either did not have a connection to their families anymore, they had lost the records, or they had intermarried with other people that were not Jews. And as a result, they had two options. And we see this in books like Nehemiah and Ezra, where they had to either leave their families or not be part of the community. And then there were those that could not prove that they had their genealogies to be part of the record. So these people lived north of Israel in the area of Samaria. And the Samaritans were despised by them. They were not part of the Jewish community. And so Jesus is slapping this religious leader, you know, metaphorically in the face by saying, hey, look, the priest and the temple assistant didn't help this man. But when a Samaritan came along, it says, and he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And 34 picks up the story. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. So even though the Samaritan is, is, would normally be the, 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 the bad guy, right, in the story, the villain, Jesus makes him the hero. And he says, this is the man that had compassion. This is the man who used his resources. He used, how did he soothe the, the wounds with olive oil and wine and bandages? Where did this come from? 
the man had the, the the Jewish man had been robbed, so he had nothing. And so this Samaritan is using his own things, his own goods, his own supplies, his own wine, his own olive oil, and his own bandages. And he even puts the man on his own donkey and lets him ride on the donkey while the Samaritan walks the rest of the way down this long, dirty, hot road. And then he takes him to Jericho and puts him in an inn and takes care of the man. This man's not only rescuing him, he's taking care of him. He's helping make sure he's on the man. He's helping make sure he gets healed. And it says 35, verse 35 says, the next day he handed the innkeepers two silver coins. This would have been two denarius. This would have been two days worth of wages telling the innkeeper, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. So this guy is using his resources and his own money. And I don't know what you make each day at your job, but imagine giving up two days worth of pay for a stranger. Somebody that hates you, your enemy, the person that would normally be the villain. And he gives his resources, his time, and his own money and tells the innkeeper, take care of this man. And if I owe you anything else, I'll pay you next time I come through town. And Jesus asks a question in verse 36, and this is key. This is something we need to pay attention to. Jesus asks the religious leader, Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked him. Now, remember, this is just not a one-on-one conversation. This was asked in front of the crowds and in front of Jesus' disciples. So the religious leader can't stay quiet. Jesus has put him on the spot. And in verse 37, The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. You see, even the religious leader recognized that greater love that we're talking about, that true love, transcends even our hate for our enemy. And the man replied, the one who was the neighbor, the man replied, was the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. And this is our big truth for this week is that greater love means loving as God loves. Greater love means loving as God loves. If we want to have greater love in our life, if we want to love like Jesus, if we want to love our neighbor like we love ourselves, then we have to love like God loves. You see, this story shows us three key things that we can apply to our lives today. First, we need to learn that we love like God when we love God. When we love God, you you can't love other people if you don't love God first. There's just no way. There's no way we can love with greater love, right? We can love with human love, right? Human love is easy to love people that you have chemistry with, people that build you up, people that are people that you already love, like your family and your friends and you know your spouse, your children. Those are, those people are easy to love. It's natural, you know. It's it, my, I loved my children the moment I knew they existed. That was natural. You know, of course I love my wife. I, you know, she's, she's amazing. Who wouldn't love her, right? But to love my enemy means I have to love God first. I have to have that deep relationship with God and recognize, right? And, and that's what Jesus tells in other parables, that we should forgive others. Why? Because God forgave us. That when, you know, that, that we know that, that we've used this verse before, that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? 
It's easy to love people that love us. But Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, we read that verse earlier, to love your enemies. That's the hard part. So we can't do that until we love God first. We cannot have that supernatural change in our life. That's what the Holy Spirit does. When the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, He turns us into a new person. And for the rest of our lives, you know, Pastor Mark Brady says this, that that one of the, the most important jobs of the Holy Spirit is to introduce us to ourselves. What does He mean by that? That we have to let our old nature be introduced to our new nature through the Holy Spirit. And that's a growth process. That's a change process. That's a metamorphosis that happens when we become a new creature, a new creation, a new creature, right? That we have a new heart and a new mind. And all of a sudden, we start seeing things differently and looking at life differently. So we first have to love God. So we love like God when we love God. We have to have that relationship. But second, we love like God when we love ourselves. We love like God and we love ourselves. You see, you cannot love other people when you don't love yourself. You're never going to be able to give. Now, sure, you can can go through the motions and you can have emotions for other people. But you see, DC Talk famously had a song that said, you know, love is a verb. I don't care what you've seen. I don't care what you heard. You know, when we talk about love, love is a verb, right? That's the lyrics of the song, you know. Because it's truth that love is not just an emotion. It's not just something we feel. Jesus didn't say in the parable that when the man felt like loving, then he showed love. No, the one who showed mercy was the one who was the neighbor and showed greater love. So before we can love other people, we have to love ourselves. We have to be willing to accept ourselves. And we talked about this back when we weeks and weeks ago when we talked about identity. And we recognized that we were created on purpose, with purpose, for a purpose, right? Guys, you have to love yourself. I have to love myself. I have to look in the mirror and see the creation of God. As Jerry Ann Webb says, that we are the manifestation of God's imagination. This is why none of us look alike, talk alike, act alike. The culture wants us to be cookie cutter. But God made us all individual and unique, and we've got to learn to love ourselves, to see ourselves as the beautiful creation and the image of God that God made. We can't love our neighbor until we love ourselves. And if you're struggling with that today, I want to encourage you to go back in our podcast and listen to our ones on identity and find out who you are, rediscover who God made you to be. But man, we've got to love ourselves. And number three, so first we love like God when we love God. Second, we love like God when we love ourselves. And number three, we love like God when we love our enemies. And that's what this parable is all about, that the Samaritan was the despised Samaritan, right? This was the scum of the earth to them. This was, a, this was a castaway. Think about the person that you hate the most, the person that has done you wrong the most in your life, who has betrayed you the most, and replace them with the Samaritan. Could you imagine if you were in need and you had been robbed by bandits and left for dead by the side of the road and your enemy showed up and showed you mercy? That's what Jesus is saying in this story. That's why it's so crazy. God's economy turns things on its head. God's economy flips the script. God's economy, the kingdom economy, the way of living, the way God wants us to live is radically different from the world. 
Like I said, the world wants us to defeat our enemies, to vanquish our enemies, to conquer our enemies, to destroy our enemies. But Jesus wants us to love our enemies. So if you're looking around this Valentine's Day and you're saying, man, I want to have greater love. I want to love on a deeper level. I want to love like God loves. Then in order for us to do that, we've got to love our enemies. We've got to love ourselves, And we've got to love God. Right? So I want to ask you as we get ready to close, I want you to ask some questions. I want to ask yourself, how am I doing at loving God? Are you and God in a sweet spot? Or maybe you're not too happy with God right now. Maybe God's not shown up the way you thought he should. Maybe he's not done the things in your life that you think he should have done. Maybe you haven't received the life that you felt like you should have in your current circumstances or even your past circumstances. How are you doing at loving God? Because to love God means to give God every area of our life, put total trust in him. And if you're not doing that today, I want to give you that opportunity to take that time today to say, God, I haven't always loved you the way I should but I want to trust you more. I want to put total trust in you today. So not only how am I doing at loving God, I want to ask you, how am I doing at loving myself? When you look in the mirror, do you see somebody you cherish? When you look inside yourself, do you see somebody that you value? Do you treat yourself? And when I say like, you know, love yourself, that's not just pedicures and getting your hair done and buying new things for yourself and treating yourself. Well, culture says to treat yourself, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about actually seeing value in yourself. When you look in the mirror, when you look at yourself, do you see something wonderful and beautiful and amazing, irreplaceable, unique and one of a kind? Or do you look at yourself and see something far, far less? If you are having trouble loving yourself, I want to encourage you to once again dig back into your identity and recognize who God made you to be. That you were made in God's image. And that you were made on purpose, with purpose, and for a purpose. And lastly, I want to ask you, and this is the one that hurts, how am I doing at loving my enemies? I tell you, I I, I told you that, you know, I had tons of of examples of being betrayed, and I won't go into the details here. But a few years ago, a group of people hurt me. And when I see these people again, it's been very hard for me to smile and be kind to them over the years because I remember that betrayal. But I want to give a testimony of the miracle that God does in our hearts. That now, when I see these people... I might be tempted from time to time, but I genuinely have experienced a miracle in my life with God changing my heart. And now when I see these people, that pain doesn't come up. And now I genuinely want to say hey to them. I genuinely want to show care to them. I genuinely want to know what's going on in their lives. Now, I can't promise you that that's what God's going to do for you, for your enemies, especially depending on the level of betrayal and trauma they may have caused in your life. But I will tell you that God will give you a new heart for them to see them as God's children, to see them as God's creation, and to recognize that in the same way that God has forgiven us of much, we need to be willing to forgive others of much as well. Because here's the reality. If we want greater love, greater love happens when we love as God loves. Greater love, that's our big truth. Greater love means loving as God loves. The neighbor was the one who showed mercy. Love God with all you've got. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. 
So we've got to love God, love ourselves, and love our enemies. So I pray as this Valentine's Day comes and goes that you would be encouraged to seek after greater love and that you would be encouraged to draw close to God, to love as God loves, to love our enemies. Let me pray. King Jesus, thank you for this time. Help us by giving us the power of your Holy Spirit to change the way we think, to change the way we act, and to give us a new heart and a new mind. To not live in a mindset of our culture where we want to see our enemies defeated and conquered, but to have the heart that you have and your kingdom to where you want to, we want to see our enemies restored and brought to you through mercy and kindness. So God, bless this time. Give us this new heart and this new mind. Allow us to go into the world with a way that is counter to the rest of society, to live as you live, and give us greater love. Greater love means loving the way you love. So Lord, bless and keep these precious people in the sound of my voice. Make your face to shine on them. Lift your countenance on them and give them your peace. Amen. Be blessed this week, my friends.